Barflies and regulars. Have a whole handful of the dog, prop up the architecture of your local establishment, and keep your balance as the stool becomes increasingly unsteady. Because it's time to talk tall to me. You know I love you, right? You don't, you don't need to talk tall to me. I, listen, I'm I will talk tall to you talking, as much I'm as I want. I talk tall to you. I'm, I'm going to talk tall at you. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome back, everyone. I am Omen Said. And I am Nick McGill. Together, we are a wonderful mixed drink called Feckless Momes. And guess what? This is Talk Tall to Me. A tipsy tipple through the tunage of Jethro Tull, in which I, Omen Sloshed Said, and Munted Nick McGill will sail the ship of musical conjecture three sheets to the wind over the Seagram's seven seas, looking for the potted promised land. Glass in one hand, bottle in the other, we will get lit by the light of friendship. And though we may be lashed by the wasted winds, we will not stop until we have got the prog rock turned all the way up. Every There's a lot of this, Nick. I, I'm, I'm, I'm enjoying it so far. Every pint and album, every sip a song, Nick and I will imbibe the sweet draft that is the work of brewmaster Ian Anderson until we are binned, battered, and truly steaming with lyrical knowledge and musical appreciation. That's right. We are absolutely rat-arsed on the tall juice right now, and we can't wait for you to get positively wankered with us on this, your weekly fluteful snootful. Wow. You continue to outdo yourself. I I, I can't outdo myself. I'm outdoing right. myself. So. Two, two more fingers of tall, but you got to give me your keys. <laughs> <laughs> friends don't let friends. Drive tall. <laughs> Drive tall. <laughs> um, uh, Nick. But, hey, yeah. Omen. Yeah. Today is the last day of 2020. Hello. Wow. Yeah. We made Could it. not have come quickly Any enough. Yeah. By the time that uh, that our listeners are viewing this with their earballs, we mm-hmm. will we will be well into 2021 and we will right. see what what fresh horrors await us await us there. Yeah, this is a this is a mid-February drop, but we are we are recording well in advance while you and I are both off for the holidays. And we are full of the full of the hope that 2021 will bring hope. Hope and possibility <laughs> that that was not contained within this previous year. Correct, correct. So while we're let's 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 veer away from that depression and straight into another type of depression. Another type of depression, and that type of depression is. Thank, thank you, Marley. Thank you for that. I appreciate I've it. I've put one too many glasses in for myself. Oh, uh, I thought we agreed there was no alcohol uh, on the premises for you. Yeah, well, also we're all out of turpentine. <sighs> okay, as soon as you sober up, could you go out and get more turpentine? Please? You're gonna, you're gonna need more brake fluid too. Uh, I didn't have any spare brake fluid, so I'm assuming it's not in the truck anymore. I got, I put kerosene on the list. <sighs> Marley, do not go near any open flames. Please. 
Just light up. I'll just roll away now. <laughs> Dear goodness. That's, I don't Boy. know. You know, it's so it's so hard to get rid of good help these days. It's, I, I feel bad saying this, but I'm so glad I don't pay for health care for our employees. <laughs> So All right, Omen. Yes. Speaking of healthcare, we've got two notes from the good doctor. Ah, thank you, doctor. Doc Savage. We've got an email and a nice review. Let's start with our email. <clears throat> Your emails, sir. I quote. Good morning again, gentlemen. Yet again, you're probably thinking, getting thoroughly fed up with me. But I wanted you to know how much I'm loving your content. At this point, you can just skip ahead a couple of minutes because it's just pure love. (laughs) And we appreciate that. But I wanted you to know how much I'm loving your content. I'm so consistently entertained by the pod. I think my favorite moment from this section was your absolute shock when you found out what a chicken fancier was on the Mother Goose episode. Omen, can you remind me what a chicken fancier is? A chicken fancier is one who preys on extremely young women, I believe. Young men. Oh, I'm sorry, young men. Young yeah, men. yeah, yeah. You can hear it in your voices. I've known some chicken fanciers. Yeah, I've I've been victim to some chicken fanciers. You and I were just talking about a chicken fancier, in fact, <laughs> before been, we started recording. I, I am that chicken. I've been a chicken. <laughs> Frick a see me and call me a chicken. You can hear it in your voices. I laughed till Tuesday, as Bowie didn't quite say. A beautiful baby, my burning desire, started on Sunday. Give me your heart and I'll love you till Tuesday. And do you think that song is at least partly about Ian casting himself as a Mother Goose-type figure, blurting out story after story for our amusement? Mm. Yes. Yes, I do. I think that's a great interpretation. And that's something that <laughs> yeah. we did not cover in that episode. But well done. That is a fantastic diagnosis of that song. Yeah. Why not have it be him? Why go? Why separate it from him? Yeah. I like that idea a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you, doctor. Thank you, doctor. And as Nick said, we also have from the good doctor a prescription for five stars. <laughs> five, five stars. Stat. <laughs> it could be five five cc's of review. <laughs> A review from the good doctor entitled Men Being Funny About Ian Anderson. Well, I think there's a lot to debate in that in that sentence. So many questionable statements there. Yeah. Quote, all the best pods come from love. And Nick and Omen clearly love the music of Jethro Tull. Even better, they don't always buy into the extreme seriousness which main man Ian Anderson brings to the band. They aren't afraid to make a little fun. Equally importantly, as they skip from song to song, in album order from This Was to JTel.com, they never come across as exclusive. They are learning along with their audience, rather than lecturing us, and their clear joy in doing so makes the 40-minute or thereabouts segments such a pleasure to listen to, genuinely a highlight of my week. Well, thank you, Doctor. You will be interested to know, Doctor, by the time that you hear this, the episodes have become... Rather longer sometimes. That's true. The last couple have been have pulled back into the 40 range. It was the latter half of Minstrel that got really in-depth. Yeah. But yeah, we've, we've, we've hit about 40 the, the last couple, so it's not too bad. 
Well, thank you very much, Doctor, for your review. It is always a pleasure to hear from you. Never worry about writing too much to us. And that goes for everyone. Yeah. You can't write too much. We appreciate it and love it. And if we don't read it on the pod, we will respond to you at least in the email. Ab-so-lightly. Oh, gosh. That's... You kept me hanging. I got really scared for a second. I forgot how the word ended. <laughs> <laughs> I panic. <laughs> Nick, uh, do we have any other housekeeping before we dip our olive twizzler into the song that we have in front of us today? Can we talk about Olive Twizzler for a moment? I I didn't mean I didn't mean Twizzler as in the candy oh. because that stuff is disgusting and I hate it. I meant a swizzle stick with an olive impaled on. Oh, it. oh, okay. Okay. One of those little swords. Speaking of which, Nick, I think it's probably time to play a little round of What Are You Drinking? I got to tell you that this this 10 a.m. recording sesh time that we've been doing lately really hampers my what are you drinking because it's always just going to be coffee. I got to tell you, Nick, that that makes me feel like maybe you're just not committed to the segment. You're right. You're right. I, I'm also drinking water. But I've, I've got a I've got a Saranac S'mores Porter. Oh. And a left hand brewing company chai milk porter. That I've been saving for the for a what are you drinking segment, and I just blew them right here because we only record at ten a.m. now. Amazing. Well, that those sound good, and they sound like a wonderful future beverage. They're both delicious. I will be drinking them in the future. Fantastic. <laughs> what are you drinking, Omen? Nick, I am having a second cup of coffee, rather unusually today, since I have the day off. It is a Lavazza Italian espresso that I make in my Italian cafeteria. And in honor of today's episode, I have made this coffee Irish. Ah. Make it Scottish in honor of uh, Ian Anderson. You put haggis in it? Is that what Scottish coffee is? Yeah, that is yeah. what okay. it is. Okay. So, Nick, with that out of the way, mm-hmm. can we dive into the song that we are talking to all about today? Honestly, I think we should. And Nick, what is that song that we have the pleasure of talking to all about on this fine morning? We are going to talk the final track off of Side A from Too Old to Rock and Roll, track number five. It is From a Dead Beat to an Old Greaser. Let's have a listen. Let's, let's grease it up. From a To an old greaser. Isn't she bad? I took a I, I took an extra antidepressant this morning, Nick, in preparation to listening to this song. Ah! Uh, wish I'd wish I'd taken a handful. <laughs> wish I'd stayed in bed. <laughs> I I think off the bat, it's 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 worth saying that this is. As I was saying to you before we started recording, this is not my favorite Tull song. Likewise. Although Likewise. I recognize its artistic merit, and, and there is definitely a lot to unpack here, mm-hmm. it, it is one that in lis- that listening to makes me just super sad. Content-wise or music-wise or, or both? Yes. Yeah, okay, yeah. 
Yeah, agreed. It it is it is depressing. Yeah. The music is does not does not do it any favors. I I take I take a lot of controversial stances on this podcast. Yeah, like like Warrior 3. Like Warrior 3? That's a yoga stance. Oh, is that controversial? It, it you doing it would be controversial. <laughs> I, in those pants. I was gonna say no one told me to wear anything anything different. Yeah, and I I just I don't like this song, and that's okay. Sometimes yeah. it's okay to not like songs. That's right. And as the consummate non paid professionals that we are, Nick, we are gonna mm-hmm. set aside our personal feelings about this song, and and do what we do best, Nick, which is to talk tall about it. Sure. Yeah. Absolutely. And maybe we'll discover a little bit more about the song that will make us appreciate it more. I hope so. Maybe the real song, Nick, was the friends we made along the way. The real song was in our heart all along. (laughs) Get that removed immediately. Okay, (laughs) let's talk musically. Nick, what have we got here? What are the elements that that compose this song? Some crazy lagoob in the form of a pair of acoustics, a pair of doubled vocals... Ian singing his own bass line in in those vocals. Yeah, in a very unusual way. You won't remember the long nights. It's not something that we've heard before, and maybe there's a reason for that. We've heard him double up his own vocals before. Oh, but, yeah. But not like this. This, this produces a very interesting effect that I think we'll probably talk more about as we get into the theme of the song. Right. It feels like that underlying bass vocal is the thought process and the the higher Ian voice is the is the the vocalization of it and yeah. he, he's basically there's there's no filter, there's no pause, it's just coming out of of a, a kind of a woe is me as he's thinking it. That's great, Nick. I think that's a very astute. It also reminds me it's sort of the the Aural equivalent of seeing double. Mm, mm-hmm. Yeah. We've also got some light piano in there. Some light. That's kind of the lightest sound that we have. Yeah, and maybe maybe some Glock. There's some. There's something Is that the, sounds a little bit yeah, like. Yeah, I wasn't. I wasn't quite sure. It sounded like. Maybe a synth piano might be a Glock. I'm I'm not quite sure what that that kind of light tinkly is. As I listened to it more, I I developed the opinion that it was probably the organ set to to a Glock and yes. Steel setting. That's what it feels like. Yeah. At about forty seconds, we get the only redeeming part of this song, which is D's strings coming in. And black Washing away my iniquities, blessing me. But but also n- not taking away the lagoob factor. No, 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 no. Definite, definite lagoob. Her her standard sweeping, beautiful, carry you away strings. Yeah. Then at let's see, about two forty, we get that god awful sax break. Oh well, before that, before that, Nick, we have what is actually scientifically 
provable to be the saddest tambourine in the history of music. <laughs> I miss the tambourine. I'm so sad. <laughs> Oh I uh, I didn't hear it over the sound of my own sobbing. Apparently, it's really it's really I've <laughs> it's impressive. It's impressive. Oh, I have to find it now. Yeah, Jack Kerouac. So then we do get to that to that break, and yeah, with that break, we actually get a couple different things coming in. We have the saxophone. We have a little little tiny taste of the electric guitar. And we have the the drum kit proper all kicking in. Yeah, and some bass. There is some some discernible bass at that point too. John mm, Glasscock yes. stepping in. This is not that good, rockin'. War child sax. This is just, this is lonely man on the corner busking with his single saxophone. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. And yeah. we'll and let's circle back to that because there is some, some thematic sax talk. Ooh. Let's Ooh. talk about sax, Nick. Mm. That, that we have in the <laughs> lyrics. Yes. Yeah. Musically, let's see what else. This is overall. Yet again, let's remember this is part of a, a stage play. This is part of of a greater piece. Yeah, hopefully this is the intermission. Presumably this may be the end of, of Act 1. This is Ray at his lowest, so we need to see the fall before we can get some sort of redemption in Act 2. Thank you for taking us back to the to the overall context. Yes. However, boy, what a what a bummer to end Act 1 on, you know? It is it is slow, it's boring, it's depressing, it's it, and, and I get it, I get it in terms of the theme and everything, but but man, it's rough. Yeah, in terms of a, in terms of theatrical construction, I Yeah. I think that no matter what your content is, I I really I don't I wouldn't ever end a show, especially a musical act 1 with with this kind of energy. Because yeah. I think that I think what you risk is your audience leaving, not coming back, <laughs> not coming yeah. back. Yeah, you can very easily pull off depression and your character at their lowest with a higher paced song. And maybe there was a little bit of a reprise after this, you know, planned True. To, True. to kind of end Act One with a bang, mm-hmm. get them excited to come back for more. But oof, yeah, it's yikes. She's rough. She's rough. Even Long Day's Journey Into Night, the most depressing play ever written, ends Act One with the appearance of the of the mother. So it's sort of like a, you know you get a shock there at the end. Yeah, yeah. This is just this is the lowest you can get. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Musically, I think that's pretty solid, right? We're going to get into lyrics here. Well, just a, some other observations. It's oh, in okay. four four time. It okay. is very slow. I think it's like. I think four, it's literally like four BPM per minute, which, which is, <laughs> yeah. what's is, the... Is that a heartbeat? I think a heartbeat's faster, actually. If you're in, a, like, amazing shape, yeah. <laughs> yeah, your resting heartbeat is just like, boom, boom. That's a goal, to be, to have a, a, yeah. a deadbeat heart, yeah. A, dead, a deadbeat heart, yes. A, classic, a heart classic medical term. cigarettes in the nighttime and wears a lot of black. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, uh, yeah, I think that sums it up musically. Okay. In terms of... Lyrical construction, without getting into the lyrics themselves right now, this is more of a spoken poem than anything. It is sung, 
But in terms of construction and rhyme scheme and discernible flow, there's nothing there. If you were to, to look at this, you wouldn't be able to see this as a song, aside from the fact that it just plods along with yeah. probably Ray's footsteps as he's walking, hands tucked in his coat, head down, collar pulled up against the wind as he's walking down the gutter. This plods along with him. Shouldn't shouldn't walk in gutters, Nick. We know that Ray does this. We've documented that. That's right. You can tell by looking at his shoes. Yeah. It, you're, you're totally right. It doesn't follow the, the verse-chorus-verse structure that many songs do. It doesn't really even have a chorus. It does have the repeated line. But you're right. It's much more in line with spoken word poetry. Yeah. Which fits in a little bit with the Jack Kerouac. That's a nice little, little homage there. But Yeah. So, so let's jump into the lyrics of the song. And I want yes. to I want to begin with actually taking us to the album artwork. Yes, please. Let's let's tie back into that. If you will all pull out your vinyls, your original vinyls that I'm sure all of our listeners have or failing that, if you just want to look up Too Old to Rock and Roll cartoon. So the the cartoon is is two pages. It's two pages and You'll see this at the bottom of that first page because this, the two pages are, bro- oh, you know, I'm not going to get into it because we'll, we'll get it with Jesse, but, oh, hey, I, I, uh, in my image search, I pulled up Creepworks's sticker for Never Too Old to Rock and Roll. Oh, <laughs> man. I really Ian want- Anderson, codpiece, uh, war child suit, flute, leg flute, leg up, flute playing, but he's got a skull instead of a face. It's so yeah. good. So I good. I yeah. want that for my birthday, Nick. You got it. It's coming up. And it says never too old to rock and roll. That's the best part. So if you look at the, as you said, the bottom of the first page of the comic that comes with the album, you see a visual depiction of Ray Lamas speaking to the deadbeat, who is depicted as an older gentleman with a black beret pulled rakishly on his head, a turtleneck a kind of an old-fashioned jacket turned up, glasses, and an old-fashioned pint in his hand, sort of the that rounded English type that, that, is, that is traditional. So pardon my surprise here, as, as I have not looked at this art because I am a terrible podcast host, but Go on. Ray is not the deadbeat. No, Ray is the old greaser. So, based on the cartoon, what we have here is that Salamander tells him to meet her outside the pub at nine or nine at a certain time, nine or nine thirty. Mm-hmm. So he goes into the pub to wait, and there in the pub he encounters a deadbeat. Mm. And now, when we say deadbeat in America, that usually means a a no account, good for nothing, someone who lazes around and doesn't work. However, mm-hmm. in this context. It refers to the beatnik generation. Ah, okay. So an old beatnik. Got it. Someone from that movement in the 50s. Yep. The, the kind of predecessor to the, to the hippie movement. And then they have a conversation. And this is the, you know, I believe that most of this, most of the lyrics are the, the beat, the, the dead beat, Speaking to Ray, and then at the end we have a little bit of a repost from from Ray. I 
I always interpreted it as going from a deadbeat to an old greaser. Like turning turning from one into the other. Yes, a, a morphing. Not It's coming from a deadbeat. Like words, advice, dialogue coming from a deadbeat to an old greaser. Well, it is. It's the deadbeat talking to Ray. Yeah. That changes my entire life. So, Nick, again, this song is a lot to unpack. And basically what we have here is the coming together, a conversation between two generations of artists, which is Mm -hmm. really what the album is about. You know, the Mm -hmm. album is about the greaser rock movement having died out, being replaced by punk. And then, you know, this character who represents that older rock and roll movement having kind of a resurgence in his life, even though he's a bit over the hill. And here in this moment, we have him being confronted by the even previous generation. Yeah, right. Someone who simultaneously represents his future in terms of being totally forgotten, but also is his where where you know his art movement was born out of the what came before it mm-hmm. yeah where would he be if not for them exactly yeah so and then the other thing that's happening here is lonely bar culture now nick you have never really been much of a drinker is that correct that is true i think that is safe to say certainly not in in the bar environment yes whereas I, for many years, was what could only be described as an inveterate drunkard. <laughs> and I'm, I'm happy to report that I, I drink much less these days. But I have definitely spent some time drinking by myself in bars. And there is this interesting thing that happens at a certain time of night where if you've had enough to drink and you're by yourself, you will start speaking to Mm. the other people who are drinking there by themselves. And this song, I do think, captures the spirit of that drunken, desperate attempt at connecting with another human being and sometimes trying to manufacture a shared experience that maybe isn't really there. To find some purpose, to find an excuse. To connect. Yeah. To overcome the the crushing loneliness that is the human condition in the modern era. It's out there. It's out there. What, what's out there? The, the crushing loneliness. Oh, yeah. And yeah. sometimes it's in here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Shut the door. You're letting in the crushing loneliness. <laughs> But that's what you know. That's why people go to bars. Yeah, often to, as as my dad once said, you know, he's he's lived by himself for many years, and he said, "Oh yes, I went I went down to the pub because I got tired of my own company." <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's that that checks out. Yeah, that 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 is very depressing. <laughs> but but yes, I mean, very true. As but well. it's something that, it's something that is very well established procedure. And and here sure. we have a wonderful description of, you know, this older man, dare we say an old man, who has mm. come to the bar and is so desperate for human connection that he, he buys our hero a pint just so that he can talk to him. Mm-hmm. 
yeah, that's all it takes. You're you're buying my time with it, for for as long as it takes me to drink this beer. Right. Yeah. And then most of the song is the deadbeat reminiscing about you know the good times when in in his youth. Mhm. From a deadbeat to an old greaser, here's thinking of you. It's sort of, you know, like that's the here I'm going to I'm going to buy you a drink just because. And then it starts the you won't remember all and then all of the things that make up the internal life of this old gentleman. So it's the deadbeat sees himself in the greaser. Yeah. And there's yeah. a little bit of sympathy or commiseration almost. Yeah, I think that there is uh, maybe the deadbeat recognizes in Ray someone who is who has ceased to be relevant culturally. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is dreadfully depressing. <laughs> now that I think about it. <laughs> so but then yeah, let's, I mean, let's yeah. get into some of this beat talk. Yes. Yeah. What What is he listing here? What's he saying to old Ray? So you won't remember the long nights, coffee bars, black tights, and white thighs. You won't remember the long nights, coffee bars, and black tights, and white thighs. So part of the beatnik movement was the coffee bar environment, these these kind of poetry houses where they would all go and sit with their black clothes and drink coffee and smoke cigarettes and listen to each other read poetry, some of which no doubt was pretty dreadful, but that was their, their jam. Yeah. And the beatnik generation was all about, you know, it's, it was sort of a, a reaction to the horrors of World War II. And so, it was, you know, it started in the 50s and there was a rejection of... Militarism. There was a rejection to a certain extent of capitalism. There was an embracing of poetry and spiritual journeys, and the you know dabbling in Eastern religions and philosophies. I believe it was also Vietnam War as well, because that was fifty-five. That started in fifty-five, and um, the Deadbeats kind of went into the early sixties as well. Yeah. Yes. Absolutely. So there, there was a lot to reject. Yeah, I mean, it was a political movement. Certainly, it was. And and we get a little bit of that with the next couple of lines. I mean, so so in terms of rejection, we have this phrase, with no mommies or daddies to reject them. It's sort of like, it, it makes me think that you know, these are a, a group of people who have so fully rejected the society that they came from mm-hmm. that, you know, if you cut off your family, your family can't cut you off. Sort yeah. Of thing. Is that is that a little autobiographical, too, given what we know about how and, and, and this is far enough removed that that it may not be, but maybe it's still a bit of a wound for Ian of how his his parents reacted to his. His going into to being a band, I mean, which we saw early on. At least with his father, I mean. Yeah. Yeah, I think that there is a certain inevitable autobiographicalness with with all of his writing. Sure. Maybe, maybe there is a touch of that here. Mm-hmm. When the bombs were banned every Sunday. 
when bombs were banned every Sunday. So apparently this refers to a movement at the time when often on Sundays people would go out and protest the bomb, you know, the nuclear program, Mm -hmm. war in general, and it was, you know, like a a recurring thing. Every Sunday people would be out in the streets protesting. Yeah. And the shadows played FBI. And the shadows did FBI. Is that not just a term for, like, FBI agents as a shadow? I I think it might be. I think that, you know, there's this implication that the that the state is watching you and you got to be careful who you trust, man. And sure. Yeah. They're not one of us. Yeah. FBI is a, is established in the States, however, which is a really interesting thing to pull in here because presumably this is set in, in, in London with the, the Kensington, Kensington Hayes, you know, we, we know where this is set and yet he is referencing the FBI. Certainly. But I also think that, you know, that's, FBI, even though it's an American term, probably, you know, was used. It's 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 sort of like when we say like, oh, they're going to bring in the Gestapo. We we oh okay okay literally referring to the so the the FBI just has so much of a of a reputation that it is it is a catch all term. Yeah, I think so. Okay, okay. And then we get into my favorite bit of the song, Nick. Oh, best line, best line. And tired young sax players sold their instruments. Of torture. And tired young sax players sell their instruments of torture. There it is. I've Truth never comes heard out. <laughs> a saxophone described so accurately. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's lovely. <laughs> yeah. It is an instrument that was created for the punishment of mankind. That's right. You stole fire from the gods. Here, have the saxophone. <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> and then, of course, in the next line, sat in the station sharing wet dreams of Charlie Parker. Charlie Parker was, of course, the famous saxophonist who was instrumental in the creation of uh, the f- musical form bebop in the mm-hmm. 1950s. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I sort of take that from that, the implication that these sax players knew that they were never going to be Charlie Parker. They still idolized him, though. Absolutely. Yeah. And then for the sax, there's sort of a double implication that it's an instrument of torture, not only because it's a horrible instrument that should never be played, but also because when you want, when you idolize a musician and you want to be like them and you know you'll never be like them, yeah, it, it is torturous. Right. It is. You self-flagellate every time you play because you'll, you'll never reach that that peak of ability, but you, you still push yourself and you still try so hard. Right. And so it's how I feel about Chris Thiele. Oh, God. Yeah. Bastard. Hate him. Yeah. So good. So good. I hate him. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then we list a couple of more artists. Jack Kerouac, Rene Magritte. Says in a station, sharing wet dreams of Charlie Parker. Jack Who were too wise for their own good Left the young brood 
And what all of these artists have in common is that they all came to prominence in the 1950s. Yeah. They all generally, Jack Kerouac especially was, you know, a major influencer of the beatnik movement. Mm-hmm. He wrote On the Road, which was almost the, you know, the manifesto of that movement. Yeah. Rene Magritte was the surrealist painter who painted the bowler hat. Yeah. Among others, yeah. He painted the This Is Not a Pipe painting. I I really dig his stuff. Oh yeah, really cool, and yeah. I mean he's amazing. He's uh, he was Belgian, and he influenced the art movement hugely. He influenced pop art and you know everything that everything that came after him. Really, really interesting connection though of what you just said. He painted the lovers too. Oh, is that the one of the the people kissing with the with, with, with fabric, fabric over their head? Mm. That is the cover of I believe a Chris Thiele album. Oh, really? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah. Another thing that all these men had in common is that they died quite young. Hmm. And most of them in the 70s. Charlie Parker died in the 70s. Jack Kerouac, I believe, died in the 70s, as did Rene Magritte. So, you know, at the the setting of this album, this fictional deadbeat has, has already lost all of his heroes. Yeah. Just quick amendment. It's a Punch Brothers album, which he is he is a part of. They're 2015, The Phosphorescent Blues. It's that oh, picture. goodness. Yeah. That's, that sounds like a Punch Brothers album. Yeah. Good album. If it hasn't got a five-syllable word in the title, <laughs> is it really even Newgrass? No, no. Mm-mm. Another thing that at least Charlie Parker and Jack Kerouac had was that they essentially drank themselves to death. Mm. Charlie yeah. Parker was 35 when he died. And wow. the coroner, based on the autopsy, put his age down as 65. My goodness. So, in a way, we have this. I mean, it's so, this is why this song is so hard to listen to is because it's, it's so tragic. You have this guy who is outdated, no longer relevant. All of his friends are probably dead. And he is doing his best to do what his heroes have done, which is to... Drink himself right. into oblivion. Yeah, those those are his heroes. Yeah, woof. And you know the line that is so brutal here. He names Charlie Parker, Jack Kerouac, Rene Magritte to name a few of the heroes who were too wise for their own good, left the young brood to go on living without them. Hmm. So death is not a death is not a final thing where. Where where everything stops, it's it is a transcendence, an ascension. Yeah, is it perhaps. is it just is it just a matter of their living life because th- their life is continuing because they are famous? Maybe yeah, or they you know maybe there's some kind of dark philosophy here that they saw life as as so flawed that the most noble thing that they could do was to die. Die early and leave some semblance of a, oh, what's the word I'm looking for? Die young and leave a pretty corpse. Is that the phrase? That, yeah, that sounds like, I don't know who that is. But I was getting at a legacy. That's the word I'm looking mm, for. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Just listening to it, the sound is depressing. But when you break it down, it's like, why? What, what is going on with my life right now? <laughs> why am I listening to this? 
It's it's hard. It's rough. To a deadbeat from an old greaser. Think you must have me all wrong. I didn't care, friend. I wasn't there, friend. If it's the price of a pine that you need, ask me again. Just a really quick disclaimer here. For some reason, because I am cursed, apparently. Omen's mic pooped, and he started recording through his computer, so the quality drops here. But it's the end of the episode. I think we all need a break after this slog of depression anyway, so we'll wrap it up here. We'll see you next week. What are we going to talk about and listen to next week? The first song off the B-side of the album, entitled Bad-Eyed and Loveless. Hooray! <laughs> <laughs> Ray Lovins. Yay! So, so excited. May I make a request? Can we please play 10 to 15 seconds? Just, just to, just to snap us out of this, of the song Everything is Awesome from the Lego movie. Absolutely, we can. Yes, I love that song. Everything is awesome. Everything is cool when you're part of a team. Until next week, you don't have to spill your deepest secrets and regrets to someone at a bar. You can spill those dark thoughts to us in the form of a five-star review. Hopefully you don't have to drink before you leave us a five-star review. Hopefully you don't have to drink heavily to enjoy our podcast. Until next week, I am Omen Sade. And I am Nick McGill. Together, we are Factus Moans. And this is Talk Tall to Me. Talk Tall to Me is a proud member of the Pregnant Moons Audio Network.